How's it going? Welcome to Tell You What, the podcast, where we talk with musicians about songwriting and the creative process. My name is Mike, and our guest this time is Nashville-based musician and songwriter Maya DeVitri, who joins us to discuss her recently released excellent album, Violet Light. Maya was an absolute delight to talk with. Her passion for her craft is undeniable. It just kind of pours out of her in our conversation. Hers is a life intertwined with music. We hear her talk about her musical family, her parents, siblings, all musicians. Although she is still a young person, Maya has, interestingly, already created and lived two different musical lifestyles. Maya spent five years or so leading the nomadic life of a touring musician as one of the three members of the band The Stray Birds. Stray Birds were a great band. They released five records. Their song, Light as a Fire, was on replay in my head for about two years. Since 2018, Maya has released music under her own name. As she tells us, she now holds down a day job to support a new approach to music making that is not reliant on constant touring. Violet Light is her third solo release, and Maya tells us more music is already in the works. While it is interesting to hear Maya talk about the contrast between these two paths she has taken... What has remained consistent is her dedication to a creative life, to the varied aspects of it, songwriting, production, arrangement, collaboration, music making in the whole. It comes out in this discussion, but more importantly, it pours forth from her songs. So I heartily recommend spending some time with this record, Violet Light. I'll keep this intro short. You're welcome. But quick note, if you like this episode or this podcast, do us a favor and share it with a music-loving friend. Help these great artists get their music the attention it deserves and help your friends find their next favorite band. So let's get to it. Here is our Tell You What discussion with Maya DeVitri. Maya DeVitri, welcome to tell you what the podcast. Hi, Mike. Hi, thanks for thanks for joining us. To set the scene, I am in the uh, tell you what Epiplex in Evanston, Illinois. You are at your home base in Nashville. Do I have that right? Yes, I am. And your brand new record, Violet Light, which I have really been enjoying, by the way, it's been very well received. That must feel pretty good. Yeah, thank you for listening and for reaching out about doing this. 
Yeah, we were just talking beforehand, but I'm going to ask you the question again. Have you been able to get out and play any of these songs live since the record came out? Uh, just a little bit. Um, I've been playing a few kind of stripped down sort of things around Nashville, and I'll keep doing that for another month or so, and then I'm going to go out on the road in May. Hopefully, fingers crossed, everything yeah. feels comfortable enough to to do that. I've got a tour booked for about two and a half weeks. Excellent. Well, you must be looking forward to that. Um, Let's go back in time if we can. I'd like to hear about your early years and if there are maybe some musical memories or influences from your youth that you think show up in what you're creating now. I understand you grew up in a musical family or a music-loving family in Pennsylvania. Is that Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So it's, uh, you know, I grew up sort of just running around barefoot outside all summer long and my parents would have these campfires and invite friends over and they'd play acoustic music like bluegrass and old-time music with their friends and so your parents were musicians also yeah yeah and and like my sense of of what a musical community was growing up was just my parents circle of friends basically like I didn't know you know we weren't like going out to see a lot of music unless I was going to see my one of my dad's bands play like he played in a gypsy jazz band and he played in a like sort of old uh, old swing band he plays he plays fiddle and guitar and sings okay. and, you know so I'd go out to see that kind of music you know maybe he'd have a gig at like a vineyard or something everybody would bring picnic blankets and and you know just drink drink wine and the kids would run around the you know in between all the grapes. <laughs> that was like a typical, like, you know, Friday night when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and then every so often there was this, uh, this amphitheater at this park called Long's Park in Lancaster. And every Sunday night there would be a concert all summer long and all kinds of different music. But I remember like Crooked Still, like they played and, and Nickel Creek came through there and the Sam Bush band. And so that was kind of like getting to see, wow, this is like acoustic music, but it's different. It's like a little different. This is like a, you know, they're, they're traveling around. They must do this all the time. Like how, how does that work? You know, there's right. no, this there's no job. like, this is their job. And, and that just seemed really incredible to me, but I didn't quite, you know, connect the dots that it was something I could do or, or really even that I could, be writing my own music or anything i was taking piano lessons with my grandma and i was making up songs on the piano and Mm. writing fiddle tunes and but i wasn't really singing much as a kid uh, like just to myself but i was pretty shy about singing with other people uh yeah i mean i also grew up going to a mennonite church and like uh, a kind where the the singing that you do is like four three-part harmony or four-part harmony like either totally a cappella or just accompanied by a piano. Okay. So these like hymns that were just, just like very like kind of solemn or sometimes very joyful, but, but very simple, just like voices and harmony and like beautiful poetry, beautiful words. So is the whole congregation joining in or is there a choir or? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, there's no choir. It's just the congregation is singing and sometimes there's just somebody accompanying on piano. So it's very, um, I don't know, like, I just felt very connected to harmony singing always, whether it was, you know, bluegrass songs around the campfire or 
singing in in church it just all all felt the same yeah i mean and then going to music festivals too we you know kind of as a vacation we would go down to west virginia to clifftop which is everybody calls it clifftop but it's like the appalachian string band music festival just people getting together and playing fiddle music and banjo music together or we go up to gray fox bluegrass festival in upstate new york yep stuff like that and uh and just you know go camping and and jam some more just like at the campfire out in the field but like you know with people from different states and all around the country or come some people from meeting some people around the world and and started to understand that this acoustic music that i knew is something that happened in my backyard like it was something that wow people are coming from like germany to clifftop to you know play banjo (laughs) and hang out and and listen to this music so there was a neo-traditional band contest at clifftop and so I would I grew up like forming little bands with my siblings and with our friends. We would enter the neo traditional band contest, and uh, that was always really fun. You, you know, that, would play fiddle in these. Arrangements. I would play. I would play fiddle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're young. It's, how old are you at this point? Oh, I was a teenager. I was probably okay. like I was probably like thirteen or fourteen. Can you define that term for us, neo-traditional, in terms and how it relates to the music? So how it relates to, as, as far as that festival, um, I think they kind of define it as like elements of traditional Appalachian music, like maybe you're playing the fiddle in the old time style, or you're, you have a banjo in the band, or, you know, sort of elements mm-hmm. of that, but then maybe like a new instrument that hasn't always been a part of that, or maybe you are incorporating like a, a some other genre and kind of blending it together people would would come up with all kinds of things i mean some people would make a band and they would sort of like they'd all like dress up as pirates and play <laughs> old time music you know like that's how they they made it neo right. uh, or um i had one of the bands that we made one year we we took like some some song that like a rap song that one of us learned from some like kids movie and combined it with like cluck old hen like the old time tune you know just like we didn't think i mean we weren't thinking very uh like academically about any of it it was just like oh let's let's try that like basically it was for anybody you could either enter the traditional band contest or the neo-traditional there were there was no there was nothing Nothing else it was yeah it was either like you're an old time string band like the kind that would play for a square dance or you're something else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the catch-all category. So yeah. at this point, you're playing the fiddle, you're mm-hmm. taking piano lessons, and you said you weren't confident in your singing. So so how did your singing develop? When did you get the confidence to start singing and p- making that part of your performing life? Well, yeah, I mean, I was singing, but as long as I kind of blended into the shadows, like, I, okay. you know, singing the hymns in church and, and sort of singing along it at campfires or something like that, but mostly just sticking to the fiddle. And then something really changed for me when I was 18 and I went to the Swannanoa gathering in North Carolina and I met a couple other people my age, uh, my friend Hannah Sang, who lives in North Carolina and uh, Jack Devereaux, who's a, who's a fiddle player. And actually I think he's a, a luthier now. And I met Duncan Wickle and Bronwyn Keith Hines. Bronwyn's a great fiddle player who's currently touring with Molly Tuttle. And mm-hmm. but I met I met these people, and you know they were like they were my age. They were people who'd also grown up like 
playing this music and uh and Jack and Hannah were they were just really really supportive and and really yeah they were like can you sing some harmonies on this song and and it it just felt really natural and I mean I guess I'd always been singing but I you know I had really was shy about it and so yeah that just sort of it felt like something that I could like another part of music that I could kind of contribute and then I started writing songs like I remember on the way home from that 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 week in North Carolina I just really that like unlocked something and like I think like finding a community of other other people who are like my age and from from these different places like not just from my hometown yeah it was really that was really meaningful so finding your voice so to speak your singing voice really unlocked maybe finding your songwriting voice as well yeah, it was like, well, now that I can, now that I feel more comfortable singing or that this is something I want to do, I, I mean, I'd always loved writing. I wrote poetry and wrote short stories and, you know, always kept journals. And I mean, I even liked writing like essays in school and term papers and stuff. I just like loved, I loved writing. I mean, I never had a, it was not ever a chore to write. It was just yeah. always enjoyable to me. I didn't see a difference between any of it. It never felt like a chore, and it, it was like I just discovered this thing I could do, like almost like this way. I had just graduated high school, too, so it was like, wow, here's a way I can keep writing <laughs> Yeah. now that there's no assignments. I've been out of, out of high school for like, you know, two months, and I was like, all right, now I know what my assignment is for the rest of my life is to write songs, sort of. <laughs> and I, yeah, just kind of, things were just starting to come together um, with with that and and my love of my love of words and and music and I think I had a lot of melodies like inside of me and ideas that I would I had just put into piano compositions or fiddle tunes when I was okay. a teenager but finally I kind of had a different outlet for them. Yeah. So, do you still write poetry or or other forms of uh writing? Prose? Some, sometimes. I mean, I keep I keep journals and I it's been, it's honestly been hard to switch out of songs. Like I, it's, it's like I'll start something that I think is a poem and then I just turn it into a song. It's kind of like I'm addicted to like, do you think there is a, well, let's say, how would you compare writing a poem to writing song lyrics? How does that shift in your mind in terms of the, the style or the way you're approaching it? I think there's just this other layer that I happen to love. That's like the way the chords move underneath the words and the way the melody, like what the melody can Mm. contribute to the story. And I think that a poem is like more difficult or something in a way, like if, because it feels like there's less to work with, like you have to tell the story only with like words on the page or words spoken out loud. But with a song, you get to like throw in, chords and melody too to kind of and then instruments and it kind of there's all these other things to help bring it to life and like bring the the idea to life and i think that is what has always been so fascinating to me and i guess i've like been able to find more um independence in it and ownership or something at the same time than with those other forms but i i read a lot of poetry and i read a lot of like essays and and books and stuff too yeah so you started us down this path about your, your creative process, and you said you just kind of think maybe you're starting to figure some of this out. 
you put out records in solo records, 2019, 2020, now early 22. This is after five records with Stray Birds, right? Mm -hmm. So one gets the might get the impression from this level of output that you are writing songs all the time. I mean, that's a that's a three records in three years these days. That's a lot, right? Mm, yeah. So do you have a consistent practice? Are you writing songs all the time, or does it come in streaks? Um, I'm kind of writing all the time. Like I, I do have. I'm sort of doing a lot of this stuff. Like it's very very small small little team that I'm working with to get the music out there. And so I, I have to put a lot of time in to, you know, on the other aspects of it. Running and, the business. Yeah. And so there are times when I'll go, you know, maybe two or three weeks without sitting down and, and working on like new songs or editing songs. But that's like about all I can stand though. Like yeah, you start to feel the pull. Back. Yeah. I start like, I'm just like, okay, wait, I don't, I need to go back and like touch the, you know, like touch the ocean kind of or yes. something. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've just realized that I'm like in a tricky place of kind of being like, I just, I love making songs so much. I love recording them. I love like every part of the process. I love figuring out like what the album art's going to be. I love like I love all the all the parts of yeah. it. So I kind of am always doing some part of it for multiple projects at once. Um, right. Like I'm going because in, different uh, projects will be in different phases. Yeah, yeah. Like I've got another record that I'm working on right now, but it's um, a lot of the a lot like most of the songs have already been recorded. I'm just working on like an, like another part of the process, like some of the some of the overdubs and some of the editing and, and some of, you know, figuring out what the sequence of the songs is going to be and yeah sort of, uh, and then, you know, also writing another one, like from scratch, like, you know, drafts of songs. So I, I, it's just like, it's just different. It's different than how I used to do it with the Stray Birds. In the Stray mm. Birds, I was always, I was, I was writing a lot, but the demands of that band and our tour schedule kind of demanded that we, you know, put, make songs onto an album and then tour that album for like a year or two. Right. And then kind of like go back, you know, kind of start again and do that cycle and sort of be focused on one thing at a time. And I've sort of shifted the balance of my life a lot since then. Like I, I have a job in Nashville, like I'm a barista so I have a different, like, basically, like, instead of supporting myself through touring right now, I'm supporting myself through a job plus music. And right. before it was, like, music plus touring. Like, touring is, like, its own job, you know? Right. When I think about it, it's, like, the hardest job I've ever had. Um, like, the logistics of it, the the hours in the day, I mean, it's it's all-consuming, and so I am much more productive, much more like creative, I feel, with this balance where I can be mostly at home and, you know, even if I go and, you know, clock in somewhere and work for eight hours, I'm still home at the end of the day and I can, if I want to like peek at 
a song draft or something. I have like this, the sense of quiet and the space to do that. Yeah. It's different than being like, okay, now we have to drive three hours after the show and then load all the instruments in across this icy hotel parking lot. And then we have to get up five hours later and go do a radio spot and then drive another six hours to the next venue. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it was so tiring. There was, I was just like chronic exhaustion for yeah, I, I years. I talk to <laughs> artists all the time and I always ask that question. I don't know how they can do it as creative people to find the space in their lives to be creative when they're leading that lifestyle. It is, it's a lot to ask. It's so demanding. And I, I guess I've just like, I, I definitely was like went through a period of kind of like grief about leaving that lifestyle because like the stray birds had worked so hard for, you know, kind of to be able to sustain ourselves just through touring. Yeah. And then I, it was such a transition to like stop that all of a sudden. And I was definitely sort of grieving that, but also realizing that basically like how close I came to like walking away from music altogether because it's ruining, ruining your love. Yeah. 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 Because it was, because it's so demanding. And, and so now I'm, I'm much more, I guess like the balance of things in my life is like, like I love, I love music so much and I need to make a life that supports my love of music. Okay. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. I'm going to jump ahead here for a second. We're going to bookmark this and come back, but I think this is a good time to bring up a song, the song Never on the Map from your new record, right? Yeah. Because this song kind of celebrates life on the road as a traveling musician, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the repetition at the end. It's almost droning. I don't, that's maybe not the right word for it. It's kind of the rep- repeating phrasing at the end and kind of signifying yeah. that how the road goes on forever. Yeah. Um, so maybe you could talk about this song in the context of what you're just talking about, about the way you look back on that life. Yeah. So that song was inspired thinking actually just about a very brief chapter in my life that came right before I was a touring musician. It was when I was just traveling across the country with some friends and we were just busking. We were playing music on the side of the street, you know, street corners, farmers markets, just playing Johnny Cash songs, John Denver songs. Um, We did this across the U.S., uh, some in Canada, eventually, um, I did this with some of the same people in, you know, we like over in Ireland and, and England and France and Spain. And it was, this is before I was ever in the Stray Birds, before I had, you know, this is sort of in between seeing, you know, Crooked Still and Nickel Creek on stage at Long's Park in Lancaster and then being in a full-time touring band. There was this in, right. in between period where I was you know, like awakening to this idea of traveling and playing music and kind of figuring out like, oh, you just have to show up. You you can go from town <laughs> to town and you show up and you, you open up the guitar case and you start singing songs and playing fiddle tunes. And if you play a really fast fiddle tune, people, they come over real close and they throw dollars in the case and, and they want to know where you're from and you get to tell them a story. And so that's the, like this moment where I 
like the atlas became real for me where I could like go out and like walk around out there in the world and, <laughs> and, you know, be like, Oh, so that's the Mississippi river. Okay. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the, the arch in St. Louis. Oh, that's what I've, those are the Rocky mountains like coming up out of the plains. Okay. That's the grand Canyon. Like this the is music was taking you there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, just getting kind of like really, really like lured into this, this amazing like possibility of music to be uh, like a ticket sort of like a, you know, to, to travel. Yeah. And like, that's the, the line in the song, like basically like, you know, Johnny cash, like how much do we owe you for this ticket? <laughs> like we just, we've literally played your songs and made it across the country. <laughs> and um, I always have to make sure people know that that was not like, you know, necessarily a perfect easy time either because it was all also like one of the first crash courses in interpersonal dynamics in a mm. very cramped little vehicle, you know, different personalities yes. and figuring out what time different people want to eat. And now this person wants to go to the bathroom here. And now this person <laughs> like actually wants to be in Oregon, but this person thinks we should go to Texas and, you know, like figuring yeah. out all these different compromises and, and dreams and, and like idealism all at the same time. And, uh, which was uh, like a crash course for, you know, being in a band later on. I think that it's this, the feeling of, of that just that you can just go, like you can just up and go once you, once you like taste that as a musician, like, you know, if I really, if I really feel like I'm about to burn out on this, I guess I could just, you know, go down to New Orleans and play on the street and see if I still if I still feel burned out or what about like, remember that time we were camping on the beach in Spain and we met all those architecture students because the only way we could make friends because we couldn't speak the language is we just would like start playing fiddle tunes and then they would come over to us and be like, who are you? <laughs> like, <laughs> And invite us back to their apartments and start to show us their culture and their country. And just feeling the, the feeling of, of the possibility, like the bridge that music is. Mr. Cash, what do we owe you for those tickets to the West? We sang your songs for oranges and mac and cheese and bread. Oh, the dew of Colorado still my favorite coldest bed. Yes, all across this country there's a place to lay your head. Let's go back to process for a minute, if we can. On the Stray Birds records, uh, a number of the songs are credited to you and others. Your solo records, I believe all the songs are credited to you alone, right? There are Pretty a few. Um, on the first record, on Adaptations, there there's a couple, a couple co-writes on there. Okay. Can you maybe compare, contrast the uh, collaboration in your songwriting versus going it alone? How are they different for you? Mm. Yeah, I think the main difference has been that on my solo records, I've gotten the chance to make each album feel like all the songs belong together in a specific way, like kind of yeah. that they're the same 
They're all like maybe different kinds of fruit that grow on the same tree or something. And so sometimes like for ad- for my first record, Adaptations, there's two songs on there that I wrote with Anna Eggie. And like those songs just fit perfectly into that world of that album. And so they're on that record. But then more recently, it just hasn't lined up that way. Although I have continued co-writing with people and, um, and I'm, I'm working on an album right now and, and there are some co-writes on it because they just happen to fit in that world. But with the stray birds, um, it was more like a patchwork quilt kind of thing where like Oliver was writing songs, I was writing songs. And then we would basically just like bring forward our favorite songs we'd written and kind of try to put them together on the album. But it was less like, uh, conceptual and just more like, all right, well, these are the songs we have. Well, let's talk about the process itself when you sit down to write a song by yourself start to finish are you seeking opinions along the way like you you're not bouncing it off of a co-writer so are you trusting yourself that you'll know when something is good and should be continued or yeah yeah I'm not sharing it along the way yeah unless I'm unless there's a co-writer who's in on it and we're we're writing it together at a certain point you know maybe you know, for, for example, for Violet Light, like there, there were even more songs than are released on the album that we recorded for it. There's a couple that, you know, we even got, we got us, they kind of, the songs sort of made it for, past the first part of like me playing it for Ethan, because we were both producing the album together. So I'd, I, you know, I'd play something for him and he's kind of helping me to be that filter of, does this fruit belong on this tree sort of? <laughs> and, uh, and there, you know, sometimes there would be a song that even in that, in that moment of just hearing the song alone on a guitar, he would be like, yeah, like, I love this song. Like, I just, I don't know that, I don't know that it's, that it, to me, it's not quite in the same world or like, or, or it could be like, could you, could you help me to, he might say like, could you help me to see how this is, you know, for you, like, right. why does this feel like it belongs in this world, you know, and kind of seek to kind of understand that and see so so it's almost like there's a point of sort of uh i don't know like going to bat for your song like for it to be you know because there's all these like filters you know to kind of get it okay so you've actually led me to another question i had here on this record violet light um you and your partner ethan yojevitz Mm -hmm. uh recorded this in your home studio and if i have this right you assembled a different group of musicians for each song, different instruments, different players, right? Correct. So this gets me to the question of cohesiveness. Were you concerned at all that having different people and different instruments, different arrangements for each song would make it harder to make the album a cohesive whole? Or was that kind of the conceit of the record was that this is the thread that's tying it together? I think it was a little of both. I mean, honestly, as people have listened to it, like, people outside of the two of us now that it's out there and they're like wow this it sounds so cohesive we're yeah. like he's he and i are kind of just like whoo that's a relief because it was a concern because, though right yeah because we i mean we've to our ears like we were making something but it was just like have we just lived with this so long that it fe- like the songs make sense to us because you just never know like it's like am i too zoomed in to be able to zoom out anymore like and then part like part of the part of the process with with this is also you know how do you 
how do you sequence it that if somebody sits down to listen to it they're not like going through a jarring like that it's interesting but not jarring and going one track going one track to the next yeah like if if they do choose to listen to it from start to finish like what's that what's that experience going to be like and um but yeah i think it was a it was a concern but it definitely wasn't like a heavy concern because it obviously didn't stop us from doing it but also it didn't (laughs) also like we trusted that since ethan was also mixing it we both really had our hands in the process from start to finish like it wasn't like we were going to send one track off to this person to mix and they were really gonna you know bring the drums up really high and certain and like suddenly the vocal is buried in the mix and we're able to sort of uh like curate that yep Let's talk about assembling these musicians. Maybe you can give us a window into how these decisions might be made. Like what does a conversation sound like with you and Ethan as you're deciding what instruments and or voices might work for a particular song? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think one, like one window into it would just be like, I guess I could even just talk about like, like choosing the different drummers. Like we, you know, there's like, I don't know, like five or six different drummers credited on this album and and like choosing you know like jason berger is it was really fun for us to think about the strengths of these people and consider their strengths and like wow like jason would really be not that he couldn't play drums on you know a different like he plays the drums on uh like how bad i want to live and and never on the map and and not that not that he couldn't play the drums on something like um not a trick of the eye um but but there was another drummer that we had in mind mark rodeball who had like had a different feel to his drumming and a different you know placement of uh different choices like like it, it was just it really made us like tune in and we would listen to you know like i've worked with these people in the past in different settings maybe a live setting maybe a studio um, some of the harmony singers, you know, we would actually just like listen to like go on YouTube and find, find a, th- a sample of them singing something just to be absolutely sure that the vocal range that we wanted was possible for them, like physically possible. Like for K- right. Kaya Cater, for example, she sings this low harmony on leftover tears and she, her voice is just so resonant and beautiful in this low register. And so, you know, just actually like finding you know, finding some version of that so that when we knew that when we called her up to ask her about that, it wouldn't be like out of possibility for her to physically do the part that we had in mind. Um, this sounds like a lot of work. This sounds like one of those quarantine projects, like I'm finally going to learn French, like, you know, taking on something pretty big because you have all this theoretically time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was like it was that part like was really fun for us i guess i i think as like ethan is really he really pays attention to different musicians and to their strengths and like what they're bringing to a situation like their musical voice and i've really enjoyed um like kind of learning to communicate with people about like what we're hearing what they're hearing like i think it was like a a way for us to kind of 
grow into being producers in yeah like kind of in slow motion because we didn't instead of making one decision about like who the band was going to be for the record we we actually had to make like decision after decision after this i mean we had to make like you know endless like i don't know like yeah. 50 decisions I mean, it kind of sounds like like brian wilson in the studio for six months and yeah hundred thousand dollar budget yeah bringing in right right but it's like it's much different when it's just two people working in your basement right <laughs> let's talk about a couple more of these songs not a trick of the eye you mentioned that already here you talk about um it's where the title of the record comes from, right? Violet light. Yeah. You talk about humans not being able to see the entire light spectrum, things that butterflies see, for example. This is interesting to me because you are kind of referencing the fact that as humans, we have our own version of reality. We're limited by our senses, right? Yeah. And there are alternate realities being presented to us these days and fed to us. But I think your point here, one of your points maybe, is that there are still realities that matter. Right here, you talk about you're singing about the taking of an innocent life that anyone should be able to see Uh that reality. Right. So can you talk about this one? Yeah. Yeah. I think it is, it's about visibility for me and like what we, what we choose to see and also what we are taught to see and what we're taught to name, you know, and there are so many realities in the world that I didn't even become aware of, you know, like injustices and, systemic injustices that are just like built into our country you know like the violence that the violence of our country's history in the united states like that i felt like was concealed from me in a way as a you know as a child as a student Mm -hmm. in school and i think like questioning like how much does that inform my reality now and like what i've seen or how much does that how much does that inform like the anger that I have or the disbelief that I have when I, you know, see footage of violence, you know, on, on my phone, that's, you know, eyewitness video footage from a shooting or something like what kind of like, like what lens am I seeing this? Like, what, is there anything like filtering out certain things or making me think like, Oh, well that's just because da, 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 or that's, like, like, I'm like, no, like, I, I want to see it's like a system is hard to see, you know, like systemic racism, that's hard to see, like, what is the frequency of light that we need to, what do we need mm-hmm. to like fine tune so that we're able to like, I just imagine like, what if we could like, turn, it's not possible, but like, what if, what if there was like one knob that we could turn that was just like, okay, like, make, make this thing visible like make this more visible to all of us like make our hearts open to for this to be visible like sort of like unapologetically shockingly visible like what would that look like and like sometimes it it feel it feels like that to me like as you know driving over a certain like overpass on a highway and noticing like the money that has been poured into one neighborhood on one side of the freeway and the money that's been taken out of the neighborhood on the other side of the freeway or like, you know, those kinds of things. Like what frequency does that need to glow for us to like, for, for something to really shift? Uh, How, how can we like understand our country's history or like the little legacy of wealth inequality and how we can, and, and, and still be like 
neighbors to each other and and feel like compassion. It's not a trick of the eye, the flashing lights, his empty hands up to the sky, and his hands held to the sky. It's not a trick of the eye, not a trick of the light. It's like they wanted him to die. It's like they wanted. talk about the song how bad i want to live evidently you had an interesting experience hiking the kalalua trail in Kauai that inspired this song yeah um this was right before right before the pandemic a couple months before the pandemic and ethan and i were hiking it was december and so it was like the edge of the rainy season and the dry season there and so kind of a, a riskier time to attempt this trail. It's it's a very beautiful old footpath, but very, very exposed to cliffs and the ocean. And um, like we knew that it was going to be difficult and like potentially dangerous. There's like a lot of threat of flash floods and um, yep. and storms there and you know, we'd watched, watched videos and, and read a lot about it. And actually we're like, you know, doing some like training, you know, like to training, like our balance and like practicing our balance for, cause knowing that we'd be carrying packs and there could be gusts of wind up to this amount. And the ledges are so exposed that, you know, there's nothing to hold all these kinds of things. And on our way, the, the way in was beautiful. And a lot of it was just like, okay, wow. Like, I'm glad that like, I'm glad we prepared as we did and we felt like comfortable and confident and there were very, very scary moments, but, but just kind of, you know, nothing that made us like question whether we were going to make it the next 10, 10 feet. Um, and then we, we realized that the forecast had changed. We had, we had like got word from, this is like 11 miles in to the trail. There's a, there's a campsite, um, very very secluded beach area and we'd got word from some other people back there that a storm was coming and so we'd planned to stay a couple nights at the beach and we thought okay let's be responsible and you know we don't really want to get stranded out here so let's head back after the after this first night let's just sleep yep. the night and then we'll he- beat the storm beat the storm back so we we got up the next day and by the time that we'd like set out on the trail, like the storm had already come in far enough that a section of the trail had been washed out, like where we like not completely gone, but just the, it's very narrow as it is. And, and there's nothing to really hold onto, but this section in particular was like red, this red clay. And Um, like it was so slick and so muddy that like we we're just in like you know hiking shoes we didn't have like spikes on our feet or anything 
which yep. would have been really helpful. But we did have hiking poles, and so we were able to, like, dig the poles into the mud, basically, and, like, kind of just with our arms, like, as with the spikes at the end of those poles, get across these several sections of of clay that was just... I mean, it was, but it, but it took, you know, very slowly, I'm guessing. Yeah. Very slowly. And like, I mean, just like cowering in a little ball, you know, before (laughs) crossing it and just like, like, like quaking and like terrified and just knowing that like we had to go across it because we couldn't go back at this point. The trail behind us was, was like just as bad that we just crossed. We didn't want to get ourselves like psyched out and like get trapped and the storm was like getting worse. And so we just had to go and we had to try to get out, get out of this, like get off the trail. You know, I've, I've tried to describe it to other people where it's like, like I was in a car accident one time that was so fast, like, and I got hit and the cars all spun around and like, I, you know, I had to get out of the car and the door was smashed in, but that it was like, wow, I'm so grateful that like, but I didn't have time to think like, I wonder what ha- would happen if, if she hit me or something. Like, I wonder, right. I wonder like, wow, my life could end. Like it, I didn't have any time. And this was like, okay, I only have two options. Like I either just like sit here quaking and the storm gets really bad. And I just like completely lose all my energy and there's no hope of like, like rescue. There's, it's like no fly conditions. There's nobody's coming out here. Nobody's looking for us. Like, we're just going to like, we would just scare ourselves to death on the side of this cliff in a storm that could go on for days, or we have to go across and try to get out of this. And, but plenty of time to consider your fate. Plenty of time to just like sit there and decide, you know, and decide and look at each other and be like, we're, we, we're going to cross this. We're going to do this. We're going to make it out of this trail. And then to decide like, okay, that means that my body and my mind, like mentally, like everything has to agree. I have to make sure that every part of me is saying yes. Like my body can't mm. like freak out. Like my foot can't just decide to do its own thing. You know, <laughs> like, yes. like everything has to be aligned. And like before I attempt this, because every, all of my focus has to be getting to the other side. And like in a way that it's like not a question of how strong my arms are to like support my body and my pack. Like, that's not, that can't be a question. It's just that I have to do it. And so, like, coming to this, like, extreme place of focus was something I'd never experienced before in my life. And, you know, I've been in some periods of depression where you just, you're like, you wake up and it's just like, okay, another day. Like, okay, I guess, I guess this is what we do now. Uh. And, and, you know, feeling really detached and, and separate from my mind and body and spirit, like with music and, you know, with what I'm doing in, in my daily life and periods of, you know, self-medicating and, and, you know, really not taking care of myself in various ways, like especially in the years of like constant, constantly being on the road and like all of that, it's just like it all just like went out the window and it was just like, this would be kind of like the opposite. Yeah. It's like the opposite feeling where you're just like, okay, like now I know, like I know how bad I want to be here. I know how bad I want to get off this trail and like whatever I do, like in my life, just like how much, how much I do want to be here, how much more I want to give, you know, and whatever that means. And, 
uh, the people I don't want to leave behind. Like I, I just, I have to, I have to make it. And so the clarity of that was the reason I wrote that song is because I wanted to not forget that clarity. Like I know what, I know what that feeling is. And like, even it was, you know, a couple weeks after that, that I felt that clarity. Like I didn't even, it was like pretty much every day when I woke up, I just felt, I felt that song like for weeks, yeah. like that. The, so it's like a mystical experience. Yeah. Almost. Like the emotion of it. And then yeah. there was a point where it was kind of like, I kind of like forgot the feeling a little bit. And I was just like, all right, like I, I need, a song. I need to know, like I need to never forget that because that is, that is like one of the most important like feelings of my life because that yeah. was like realizing that I was alive. This is a good time to talk about your voice after we just uh, listen to that song a little bit and how you use it as a creative instrument. You have such an incredible dynamic range. You can summon different moods and settings with the way you deliver your lyrics, sometimes hushed and intimate, like on in Trick of the Eye, and other times, like on this song, How Bad I Want to Live, really a commanding, powerful delivery. You can go in a lot of directions. So how much of a conscious decision is it for you do you try out different vocal approaches to songs or do the songs just kind of tell you how to bring it? A little bit of both. Sometimes it's a yeah. little more clear and sometimes, yeah, like, like I, for example, on how bad I want to live, sometimes even the instrument that I'm playing can affect the performance vocally. Like I remember we first tried to track that song with me playing acoustic guitar and singing and I just... I didn't quite bring quite the the weight that we both that Ethan and I wanted to it and I I said let me try it like let me let me play electric on it let me try that and you know just like some something else to kind of to urge me to what like to you know to urge me towards a slightly different take on it yeah um so that's part of it I mean with something like not a trick of the eye I wanted to keep it very matter of fact and like a story. Uh, I I didn't want to give a sense of, I didn't want it to like be mistaken as like a celebration. You know, there has to be like some kind of like solemn quality or it's definitely, you know, yeah. One of the reasons that I love songs so much is that that's, that's a whole other layer. Like after you have the lyrics and the chords and the melody, then it's, the vocal performance and, and what, yep. what kind of, that's something that I've like grown into also. Like, I don't think I was really aware as much of that in the early recordings on the stray birds. I was just trying to like sing in tune. Right. Um, but I think it's something that as I've gotten more comfortable with my voice and I've gotten more comfortable with the possibility and like what it can bring to a story, 
it's something I really enjoy playing with. And, um, yeah, so, um, thank you for, thank you for asking about that. Yeah. It really does bring a depth and a variety to, to the songs. It really, it's wonderful. So here at tell you what we like to give bonus points for family members and relations performing together. You have a song on this new record in which you are joined by multiple siblings, Mm -hmm. right? So, have you been able to be connected musically with your family over the years, or is this kind of a reunion kind of thing? Um, I think it's, I mean, this is like the first time we've all been on the same song recorded, but like I'm the oldest of four kids, and so yeah. And all four, all four, of, you are on all this four song. of us are on Real Time, Real Tears, and right. they're all really, really musical really creative people in their own way and, and very different styles. I mean, like very different influences, even though we came from that same family of like going and playing songs at the campfire, there were different things that informed each of my siblings and like their, their particular musical expression. And I think, I think like because of the difficulty and the, just the intensity of my life in the stray birds. I re- I basically, I just didn't want to push my siblings or like, it was like a fine line between encouraging them and making sure I wasn't like advertising that they should, you know, make records and try to tour and like, yeah. you know, because I think that's like almost like a parental position. Of some yeah. Parent who is a performer yeah, for their children. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like a little bit. Cause like, like I was actually, I was just talking to my, my youngest sister, Nina, who I, like, we were just talking about this. She actually moved to Nashville recently. She told me just last night, she said, yeah, I saw your success in the Stray Birds. And I thought that I should be writing songs on guitar and like mm-hmm. singing kind of more singer songwriter folk songs and things like that. And real then recently she's just been listening to Carol King nonstop and she started writing more like pop songs on piano and and just different and she's like I think I'm finding my voice and I think I just thought that I had to like you know because she was a she was like you know 13 years old when I was like just starting to get going in the stray words and then she's 14 15 kind of start you know coming to philly folk fest and seeing me on the stage there or whatever right that's pretty cool and so it's pretty cool for her but and and for my other siblings but I think I just never wanted to um to to advertise it as like I mean they they definitely knew that it was not a glamorous life, you know. Yeah. Um and they knew they knew how hard I worked on the road and but they also they also have music in them. Like they're like pouring out of them and they're my so they're all making music in their own ways now and and it must have been fun to for you all to get together to do this song then yeah yeah it was really cool and and it was really cool for me to have a chance to kind of just invite them into my my world but no right. but for them i think at this point like i feel like they are each feel like they're all adults now and they're fe- they're each feeling like secure enough in their own tastes as musicians and their own choices as musicians and like exploring that, that I don't know. It felt like a good time. It felt like a good time yeah. to do it. Beating out beyond, beyond the sand. 
question all right i'd like to go deep with the final one are you ready for this uh-huh okay did i read that you have chickens yes can you tell us about your chickens yes so we have five chickens and three of them the original three they are like they're like chicken run like they are the ones <laughs> that like ran away from the truck in pennsylvania when they were about to be carted off as pullets, they're about to be carted off to like an egg laying farm kind of thing where they would have just been. This is the actual story. This is the actual story. Okay. They, they were the, <laughs> they were like the runaways. And so the farmer, once they, once the farmer rounded them up, he gave them to my uncle and my uncle knew that I wanted chickens. And so he gave them to me last spring and I put them in boxes and drove them down to Penn, drove them down to Tennessee. And then one of them, even though they are leghorns and they are, it's supposed to have been like bred out of them for them to have any instinct to be like mother hens. Cause they're just supposed yeah. to like lay, 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 lay. But one of them went broody and decided she wanted to hatch chicks and uh. we don't, we don't have a rooster. So we had to get her some fertilized eggs. So we got a, a dozen fertilized eggs from another farm and put them under her. And she was a very pleased mother and she hatched hatched a bunch of chicks and we gave a bunch of them away and we kept two that we hoped were rooster or hoped that were not roosters we hoped they were hens because we can't have roosters yes. we're, in, we're in nashville city like we're in the in a neighborhood but we do have some space in the backyard to do this and so you guessed correctly though. we guessed correctly we kept the hens and uh yeah so now there are five of them and they just awesome. had we call it recess because we're not actually allowed to like let them out of their pen they're not really allowed mm -hmm. to be like free range in the neighborhood but we call it recess <laughs> and we we let them out on like it was a nearly 70 degrees today so i let them out for recess <laughs> for a little while they walk around the yard and then it was pretty windy and they get kind of scared when it gets windy and they sort of run home to their their little chicken house all right so well, i'm glad we got that story straight yes chickens yeah maya thanks so much this has been a great conversation I, I know you're looking forward to getting out on the road, and I hope we all get a chance to see you out there playing live for these yeah. great songs from Violet Light sometime soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, Mike. Thank you.